You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. Hi, everyone. My guest today is Susie Garcia. Susie is a vocalist, violinist, mariachi, entrepreneur, and just an incredible performer all around. We met over 10 years ago when she and my husband were both performing in a production of Measure for Measure at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Las Colibri, her all-female mariachi ensemble, were featured in the production. She is based in Los Angeles. She has two young kids now, and I so admire her drive and energy. And I'm just excited to share this conversation with you. On another note, I wanted to let you know that this is the second to last episode of The Compass. After almost seven years, I feel ready to move on and make room on my plate for other creative projects. All the episodes will remain online, available where you listen to podcasts, as well as on the Broadway Podcast Network site and app. So if you're missing these kinds of stories in your ears, please go back and discover the archives. You can check out what Susie is up to at lascolibri.com or Colibri or her Colibri Entertainment site, C-O-L-I-B-R-I-E-N-T.com. I'll put out that last episode in about two weeks. It'll be something special and personal that I'm still figuring out. But until then, I hope you enjoy the 185th episode of The Compass. What do you do to try to keep from going to the dark side as an artist? And wrapped up in that is what what is the dark side for you? When I say those words, what comes to mind? Right. I thought about this. I kind of got that question a little bit ahead of time. So, you know, I think the dark side for me, because I feel like I am a very passionate person in so many things that I do, um, from my family to my work to just in general, you know, social justice. I think that the dark side for me is, is not letting um, all those things push me to this place. When I think about when I was a little child, um, when I just flew off the handle, I was one of those (laughs) kids, you know, I really had, you know, the sit down with my parents when I was like a teenager and they were like, Susie, you have to figure out how you're can control this anger that you have. Mm. Um, and it just, you know, the high expectation that I have of others, you know, all those things come from, as we all know, just, you know, how we're raised and a little bit of our DNA, um, from both of our parents, our genetic makeup. But I typically as a younger person, child, young adult, um, tended to, get very mad and angry fast. So for me, that's my dark side. It's not being able to control these emotions that overwhelm my brain and then cause me to open my mouth when I shouldn't. And Mm. that as an artist, as a manager, as a director can be very detrimental to me. That's my dark side. So when, you know, just your emotions get a hold of you know, your being, which we've seen recently, uh, very, very clear on, you know, Hollywood and things that have happened mm-hmm. <laughs> lately as of late. Um, it is difficult to to control yourself. So how does that happen? How do I figure out how have I figured out over the years to not go to that dark side of who I am? Um, I think people absolutely who know me know that I have this like, 
high expectations and maybe it's the look. I remember I coached a set of cheerleaders once uh, in my life. I was a, a, at an all-girls Catholic school. So girls, of course, very in their teenage years, very vulnerable, very encourageable. And they used to be like, Miss Garcia, I am going to feel so bad for your little girl because <laughs> when they get that look, you know, that you give. And they said it's so sweet and so nice to me, but I didn't realize that, you know, this is a little my dark side coming out as a coach of saying, wow, this is where, you know, Susie Garcia doesn't have any tolerance for me or, you know, and you don't really know you're even doing it. It's just, you know, that's who you are. And part of that's good because, you know, in Spanish we say exigente. It's, it's, you're, it's, you know, you, you really, it's a lot of times I can't even say the words in English that come to my head anymore, but it's like an expectation level you have for others. You impose that on them and, you know, they have to react to that and, and, and internalize that the way they, they need to, or can't maybe at the time. (laughs) So how have you uh, learned to deal with, like when you have collaborators or or team members or employees who have a different work style or um, like a different energy when they're approaching things like that. Right. I think that's where the all-female mariachi, I am the director of an all-female mariachi Las Colibri. And amazingly, that has been, I feel like my, my teaching, you know, grounds, they have taught me so much about, it's like having children. And I have 10 to 12 children all at once, all the time from, you know, ages that are two generations younger than me or my own generation or maybe a little older than me. So it, it, and then collaborators that are, again, way older, Mm -hmm. maybe males, but really those women, girls um, have taught me so much because women are very emotional people. They come with, everybody has a lot of different scenarios in their life. Um, so the, to- the tolerance I have to have, the understanding I have to have, I'm so glad that I got a master's in organizational leadership counseling mm. because it really, and the counseling um, degree definitely helped me, which I didn't think about at the time. I was really studying to be a college counselor. Um, okay. Yes. And I got a master's, which was more directed towards higher ed and organizational leadership. That's just how the program ended up for me. But all of that was so great because I had to do the work. I didn't mean, it's like, you don't even mean to be doing the work, but because you're learning so much about social learning theory and all these other theories, your eyes open up and say, oh, okay, I get that. I I know how I can apply this to my own life. And I probably did my own set of therapy while I was in school (laughs) without having to go to a therapist by just really internalizing all of that information um, about psychology and looking at my own life and then being able to apply that later on, years later into an artist setting. Uh, But again, artists all come with just in general, you know, we're artists because we're artists. We have things inside that we want to get out. And sometimes <laughs> we can't always get them out the way we want them to. Um, and of course, music takes a lot of practice and um, and some people learn faster than others. I mean, a group of 10 or 12, you imagine, it's not just like a quartet or something like that. Or yeah. um, And we have a lot of different levels of including myself, you know, when you're not the best one and you're directing the best one, that's a whole different dynamic. I mean, it really is, it has been a whirlwind of, you know, ups and downs and craziness with, with the women that I, I direct. It's all good. It's all beautiful. It's all very fun and, but it's demanding on, on myself and also as a group to try and figure out all these personalities and then create wonderful vibe and energy on stage, which sometimes happens with a special group and sometimes it doesn't. Is it, uh, do you have a, a lot of turnover in your group or has it been like an ensemble that you've been working with long-term, like those particular music? Right. So yeah, long-term we've had a lot of iterations of Las Colibri. So it's almost impossible to have the same girls like at every show because 
oh, I there's a running joke right now. Who's the next one that's going to have a baby? I mean, in the last <laughs> five years, we've had babies. One of us has had a baby every single year. And that's me twice, right? Mm-hmm. In the last five years. So um, it, that causes, you know, turnover. As you know, girl can't be there for at least three months, maybe six months. Um, and just trying to figure out all our lives. We have husbands. We have... Um, just commitment, school. I have professors. I have people with professional jobs, policemen. Their schedules just don't allow them to be there at every show. So it's that's again, it's like the okay, how do you calm yourself down when somebody tells you, I'm not showing up today for rehearsal? I'm not showing up to this show. And you have less than 24 hours to find out, you know, or to oh figure gosh. out what you're going to do. So I do feel that I have a high stress job in terms <laughs> of this part of my life. And I feel like I'm a mom to more than just my two own children. Um, because it's just like, it's a psychologist job to really, I mean, girls, I can't even tell you, there's so many crazy things that have happened, but like, the girls who come to you too, speaking of being pregnant and are screaming and crying their eyes out that they're pregnant. <laughs> and you're like, what do I do? How do I, what do I say? But just reassuring them that it's going to be okay. And you know, like. Well, it must be interesting. Cause it's like in one, in one way you have this like family environment and then in other ways, it's like okay, too much family environment, too much family environment. <laughs> You yes. And when it. do you decide to be a sister? When do you decide to be a right. mom? When do you decide to be um, your colleague, right, you right. know, or like the, ba- the bad direct bad guy director and say, that's it. You know, I, yeah. I'm not ha- dealing with this anymore, you know, or change your attitude or, you know, have, I don't have, know. I know you like, have you always felt that you were a leader? Or what was the transition that kind of led you from like being the ensemble member to being the director? Good question. I, I definitely, I've always been a leader. I was the president of my sixth grade you know, school <laughs> or when I was in sixth grade, I was the president of my whole school. I, when I, well, yeah, the, that's like my, my self, right? I, I, I definitely exude leadership in my style, in my personality. Um, so I, I was a, I feel like, yeah, I don't, I don't mind saying that I was a born leader. I, I definitely <laughs> wanted to lead the way rather than follow. However, I had to be an ensemble member first to know and learn and be, you know, because I didn't have all the skills I needed to be to be a director Mm -hmm. yet um, when maybe the opportunity would have, you know, proposed itself. Um, When when we were in I was in an all female mariachi Las Adelitas as an ensemble member, we had a male director and uh, we really honestly may he rest in peace. Uh, but he, he, we didn't, we, we, we really had butted heads and a lot of the girls did because we were just kind of, you know, he was very, very, I wouldn't say mean. He just was very, very, and at that time, you know, there weren't girls around mariachi music. So, you know, men were also learning how to deal with hmm. crazy girls too. So, you know, the, and we didn't, a lot of us didn't speak Spanish or, you know, maybe I didn't very well at that time. Now I do. But, um, you know, to understand two different cultures, these girls were, most of us were born here. He was born in Mexico, you know, the, the culture difference. And yeah, there's a lot of things. But after that group, we we kind of dis- defected from Las Adelitas and we made our own mariachi. All girls, all, no man involved Um and so we started to be more like a collective and, and we didn't have like a leader leader. So that's when a couple of us kind of stepped up and started to make decisions and things like that. Right. I still wasn't the leader. When I went to Mariachi Divas after that, um, it was the same thing. It was like an organic transition to a new group. And when we did that, I wasn't the leader again because I was in school. I had a lot of things going on. It wasn't my idea to defect from the other group again. So um, although I was a force, right? So, you know, I was one of those that definitely was like, let's get this together. Let's get it organized. Uh, another girl took her took it by the reins, Cindy Shea, who's now gone on to win Grammys. And she was a go-getter from the very beginning. Mm. So she ob- also 
innately had this leadership ability and she had major goals as a full-time musician. So I was never a full-time musician my whole life till now. I'm still not necessarily a full-time musician. Uh, I do other things. Um, and I take care of a family, but she, um, definitely had me as her like right-hand man. I was the other leader in that group. And I knew my place. I knew that I was, you know, making decisions or telling girls, this is what you have to do this week, or this is how you have to dress. This is how we're going to comb our hair. And people describe me at that time as like, oh, we were scared of you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Cause I, you know, I've always had that real, you know, like I said, passionate, serious, this is serious. This is not, I don't do this. I do it for fun. I do it cause I love it, but I want to be the best on stage. I want everybody to give a hundred percent like I do 110. Um, so you feel that, like you've, you've learned a lot from these other women who have led beside you or that you've, you've led alongside, like learned from their manager style or leadership style. Absolutely too. Cause where they have a dark side and they have, you know, also things that you see, Oh, Whoa. Like I, I don't want to be that, you know, that's one, even the men that we've been right. That I talked about, like that's right. two, their styles that were just like, what? I don't want to impose that feeling on, I know how it feels. I don't want to impose that on others. Um, so it's being understanding musically. I think that's because I wasn't the strongest. I wasn't always the best. And in, in the musical aspect of my, you know, mariachi life, I'm a great performer. I have a lot of other amazing qualities to give to a group, but I know what my weaknesses were and I don't want to make others feel worse because you have to try to make them want to be better and to practice and to get to this place where everybody else is, um, you know, musically, technically. So uh, that definitely were, were lessons. Others is just like, again, the personalities, how can you deal with it? And, and many of those things, uh, I felt like in divas, it was like passed to me, right? Like, Susie, you know how to deal with them better because I'm not confrontational, mm. right? Right, like, right, right. I'm, you're confrontational. <laughs> and you're like, I don't mind. You, <laughs> yeah, I'll be the bulldog because I don't, I don't mind. This is just right. who I am. And, and I'm not scared, you know? I'm not really, a, I don't get really scared about yeah. much. So, okay. Sorry about that. All right. So we were talking about learning from other people's leadership roles. I did want to... Um... No, I think just to finish that whole thing is that, you know, you do learn so much from other styles and the good and the bad and, you know, the ugly too. Um, and then, you know, I I, I think when the, the opportunity came up for me or the decision came up for me to say, are you going to do this? Because it's so much responsibility uh, to be a leader and to be responsible for others' livelihoods. That's not, it really, I mean, that's mm -hmm. really what it ended up being. Like these girls depend on me for work and I got to find it or keep giving it. Um, and, and that's where I'm at now. That that's the, that's the, the new struggle, you know, of how do we have, find a healthy balance of, feeling responsible for others, but also making sure you're taking care of yourself yeah. as an artist and then your own family, because you're dealing with everybody's drama or you're dealing with everybody's schedules, but what about your own schedule? So that's where I feel as a mom now, you, you know, that's where my energy lies. Like, okay, I have to think about that. And, Has and that made it a little easier for you to prioritize your own life and your own schedule, like having the kids as a, an extra incentive. I, incentive yeah. I think that I, I do. I think that you feel less guilty because you actually have a reason to say, I'm going to take me time or I'm going to take my time for my family and, and everybody else does. So why can't I? And everybody always said, Oh, it's easy to be a leader. You can just make the schedule. Well, that's true, right? You can make the schedule and say, well, I can't, you don't have to tell anybody why you don't have, you can't do it on a Thursday per se, but, um, that's easier said than done though. I yeah, feel like everybody's yeah. coming to you with good reasons why they need you to adjust. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that, definitely having a family. And we've just, I took my kid to work at a big old festival last week. I saw weekend. that on Instagram. So when you just have to do it, you have to do it. And before as a leader, I did allow 
the, the girls to bring their kids. I think that being a woman leader, I don't think they would be doing that if it was a male leader. Um, actually, I've never heard of that really truly happening so much, you know, because it would be just taboo or like, you I know, you can't so do that. Right. So they, they, they did it. And yeah, it was hard sometimes, right. To have kids running around and screaming and, you know, as much as you want to try and appease them with a, a phone or an iPad or something, it's, it's sometimes you just can't. So, um, I'm very proud of the fact that I've supported that and supported all the girls over time that have just had to take the day off or said, I got to take a break from this. Um, and the door's always open at the end of the day because I understand this is hard work and yeah. it's not always possible to do it all. There's so many things I want to ask you about, but first I wanted to ask, you were talking about the dark side being that kind of um, those very, very high expectations. Have you been able to find a balance with how you apply those to yourself, like giving yourself a little bit of room or a little bit of softness sometimes, or do you, or do you feel like it works for you to always hold yourself to the, the high expectations? Yeah, I think I don't, I definitely, and the girls know that too. I mean, I think I'm the queen of the mistake, Ah, you know, the like, oops, the wrong note, but they always, it's kind of a joke, like, but guess what? Susie Garcia does the the mistake with all the ganas and all the like, <laughs> you know, she owns that mistake and she yeah. will smile and she won't make a face. And like, I just have learned over time, like it's going to happen. There's no way I can count off and think of the next song and w- figure out who's going to like remind that girl to go up to the microphone. It's like, there is so much responsibility that I have in my head on a show so can I be perfect with all of those things? Because the girl behind me just has to do her part and that that's all she has to do. Right. Yeah. So I've given myself a little less expectation and, and understanding because yeah, I do a lot. And I, there's like, <laughs> there's only so many neurons that are up there that can actually complete these tasks and I'm the most responsible. So, but again, I can be responsible, I can own it, and I can say, yes, I'm not perfect, so I can't expect everybody at all to be super perfect either. We're going to do our best, and the best is just like, that's what what I expect now, you know, not perfection. It's your best, and having fun, and as long as the people are happy, I am happy, and they are always happy, (laughs) you know, like, let them decide. If we really are bad, we're go- they're gonna we're gonna know they're not gonna get up they're not gonna clap they're not gonna say otra so um so far so good you know we're we're getting more work people are just like you know over the moon about you know our progress in LA and we are a LA favorite now and we are the chosen ones to do a lot of things and in a you know we don't have a Grammy we don't but we have so many other things that I don't have a CD why do not I not have a CD people are like why don't you have a CD because it's one more thing. It's a lot of commitment. <laughs> it's a lot of money. And if we were that big with a, to promote a CD, let's say I made a CD and then we start promoting the CD. Well, half these girls can't even go and go on tour. I mean, it's like, also you have to be mindful of like, these are my dreams, but right. everybody else, those aren't their dreams. They like to play on the weekends and you know, like I could go and search maybe those other girls out to create, obviously, right? If you build it, they will come, that whole thing. <laughs> but it's also, like, I think about the responsibility level too. Do I, am I ready for that? Like, can I leave my kids? Right. I mean, there's a lot of things. And prioritizing. Like- and there's, there's something kind of amazing that you're prioritizing those live events, you know, and that live experience of listening to music. Right. And the community. I yeah. mean, we do the majority, like we have our little niche thing that we do community. We are all about community, nonprofits, uh-huh. all community organizations. We just partnered with the Autry to do some study about Los Angeles and a woman who wrote music in Los Angeles. Like those are such gratifying things. I will have a recording in the Autry Museum for the rest of my life, my children's life. Like those things are not going to go away. And that is cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about how you got into mariachi? 
Yeah. So my mom is a mariachi fan. My dad and my mom and my grandparents, obviously we're Mexican. Like most Mexicans love mariachi music because it's just so much part of the culture, right? It's like, it's like embedded in, in, in the culture of, of, of the, of the country. Like La Virgen de Guadalupe, mariachis and tequila. Those are like the three <laughs> things that, you know, Mexico is very, very, it's like deep in your heart and soul. Um, and my parents really embody all those three things. My mom is a devout follower of the Virgen de Guadalupe. She loves music. They both love music. They were born in Los Angeles. So it's something that they treasured from where, you know, their parents came from. And um, they love tequila. And they love to party. So mariachis and tequila, they go hand in hand. And my parents just always love to have a good time. And ever since I was a little girl, they always went on vacations. And we were babysat a lot because they like to hang out. And um, they used to go to this mariachi festival called the Tucson International Mariachi Festival. And it's now like 50 years old. They've annually had these, these, mm -hmm. these conferences. So my parents used to go and drive a camper down there and like hang out for a week and enjoy music. And they used to come back and show me these videos of these little kids playing mariachi music. And they'd be like, don't you want to do that? And I played the violin. <laughs> My mom, I chose to play the violin when I was six years old. I went to private school and luckily mm -hmm. I was able to choose an instrument that I had interest in and I chose the violin. Right. And, and you were learning they, like classical violin. Classical, Suzuki. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, not really great, but you know, it was fun and I was learning something. My mom came back with these videos, my dad, and he had the biggest super VHS, huge camera. And he would, you know, really video a lot of stuff and he'd bring it back. And they were like, don't you want to do this? And I was like, I don't know what that is. Like, I know mariachi, but I don't speak Spanish. I just wasn't like, yeah, I want to do that. There was nothing like that around my school. There, you know, they had banned. I had to switch from violin by the time I was in fourth grade to clarinet because they didn't even have an orchestra. Mm. So I was like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, okay, maybe, but where am I going to go take a lesson? Like, even if I said yes, mom, like, where, what are you going to, you know, magically teach me yourself? Like, you're not a musician. I did, I just didn't know what she meant. Like, by don't you want to do this? Until she was like, look, I found you a teacher. Don't, you know, so here we're, we're going to, yeah, my mom sought out somebody to teach me mariachi and I was like, okay, I don't, that's fine. So I'll take a lesson. Well, I did, but the man didn't speak English and I started crying and I was like, mom, and I, I was trained with Suzuki method and it's an ear tonalization. So I was really good at like listening to something or somebody showing me how to play a, a note or two. And then I could do it. Like I could copy it. Well, this was like reading music and I didn't know how to do right. that either. And I was like an expectation of this teacher. And I just cried. And I said, first, I don't understand him. Second, those that's like foreign language to me. I don't know what those notes on the paper. I mean, I've seen them, but I don't right. know that's what it means. Wild doesn't, doesn't translate for me. And I was already older, so I should have known, but I, I just hadn't yet. Like they hadn't transitioned me into really doing music, reading music yet. And I had stopped really playing the violin with a private teacher when I was nine. So now I'm 12. I'm in middle school. You know, it's just not the the business. I was in drill team and all those other cool things. Um, and you know, I remember New Kids on the Block was right the, the thing. <laughs> you were busy. So, yeah, I was busy with my friends. And she just was like, Well, okay, fine, I found you another teacher. And this was a woman that spoke English and she was like a Chicana. And her name was Laura Garcia Cano. And it was great. I really took to her. She took to me. She could teach me the way I wanted to be teach it, taught, you know, and it was awesome. And from there, there was a motive though. My mom was like, oh, so you can play for your grandmother's 50th wedding anniversary. So that's what she was prepping me for. And she's mm -hmm. like, don't you want to do that? And I was like, yes, like anything for my grandma. Like this is like who raised me. My grandma really, really was part of my upbringing. So, and my grandfather you know, just so close to them. So I said, yes. And then that's where I started. It was for them. It was truly a gift that I just wanted to give to them and understood like the reason my mom wanted me to do this so bad. And, and then I just was like, oh yeah, this is fun. I mean, the moment 
I got to be in front of all those people and they were crying and they were clapping. (laughs) Then you realize like, oh yeah, this is fun. And you were singing too or you were just playing? I I sang. I was always in the chorus at school. You know, I'm not afraid. That's the thing. Like I was a kid that just wasn't afraid to do anything. Uh, Try it. amazing. And if it, it, it is scary and you do mess up and stuff, but I, it's, it's, it's just some of those things that you just get better at and better at. You know, I knew that I have, I know in my mind, even today, I know I have a lot of talent. If I could find two hours a day to practice or an hour or 30 minutes, then, you know, I would be way bomb. But, you know, <laughs> it's like all the other things in life that get in the way. However, I'm still pretty good. You know, like I, I definitely love what I do. So that makes it more, you know, doable and and as a professional like you can definitely keep doing what you if you love it if you don't love it people know and they catch on to that and yeah it's just you're not your heart isn't in it and now my heart's always been in it always I always thought mariachi was super cool I just didn't really know how to do it until my mom found me a place and then from there I never looked back it never seemed weird to me I mean I knew that not every kid was doing this but it was didn't matter. I, I I don't know why it didn't matter to me. It just didn't. And I I would perform in my high school. Like I obviously was not embarrassed, and yeah. I don't even think about that now. Like I I it just doesn't even seem like it crossed my mind at the time. It was mm-hmm. just like I this is who I am. This is what I do, and and it's part of who my family is. Like this is part of my culture, and I'm proud of it. And nobody ever questioned that. It wasn't like you're weird or yeah. You know, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and maybe it's because I came from a real multicultural type city, a suburb, right, of LA. You know that. So, but I met a lot of girls along the way. We we performed at the Hollywood Bowl when we were fourteen years old. Oh my gosh, that was like a moment, right? That's another. <laughs> like we were motivated to keep playing because of moments like that. We were given opportunity to really be in this, these huge spotlights, and even if it was only for two minutes or three minutes, but it changes your life. It changes your life when those spotlights are on you and people are like up to the grass at the Hollywood Bowl watching you play. It's amazing. Amazing feeling. Can you tell me a little bit about, I saw on your website that you started a program for young girls. Are you teaching or are you (sighs) more like organizing that? Well, I organized it. It was something that was going on for about two years. And then unfortunately COVID hit and we haven't pieced it back together. So my dream is, and we did that all funded by my own self and people who were supporting Viva La Tradición, which is a, a cultural series, a live music um, production that I put on every year at the Ford Theater. Mm-hmm. And every year I had incorporated a youth group to come and play at the Ford Theater. And the the best way I knew how to do that for a couple of years was, you know, one, to find other girls in the city that wanted to do what I did and give them opportunity like I had. And... um it started with me and this other woman named Cindy Reifler, who's another great mariachi and has a lot of, you know, trayectoria. She's got a long, you know, legacy here in LA too with mariachi Reina. And she, she, she just has played a long time and she's a gringa. She's, you know, white girl, but Hmm. she loves mariachi and a really great teacher. So her and I teamed up and I asked her to help me and she did. And it was great. I taught two of those girls are now in my Mariachi Las Colibri. Oh my gosh. Yes. So, yeah. So, you know, I think that like, it's still, I'm still actively looking for young girls to come and rehearse and, you know, be part of, of Mariachi. I wish I could do it in a more organized fashion. Like I was doing it uh, every other Sunday, they would come to Cal State LA and we found space there. Cause Cindy was a professor there. Um, it's just spaces. It, there's so many factors. Like I need to start a nonprofit. I need to do so many things It's on the <laughs> list. And then I could do all these wonderful projects or my kids just need to be like both five years old or five and eight. And then I can like, you know, right. see what I can do but I have a baby and it's not that I was like literally strolling stray around those first, you know, two, you know, one year and the Sundays were coming. I didn't have anywhere to take her. And Pepe and I were doing it together because he was also, my husband was also teaching with me on Sundays and doing the work and all for free. Like we weren't making a dime. It was just Mm -hmm. because we really wanted this to happen. And it just took, like I said, COVID hit 
and a little bit before COVID, I had had the um, was already pregnant again. And well, no, I got pregnant during COVID. So you know, it just <laughs> craziness. I don't even know the, the the years and the months anymore. It, the last five years have been really a whirlwind with two. How children. are you doing now with two kids? It's crazy. And he I was mean, born during the pandemic. That's he was. so intense. It was. I I think that like. It was good and bad. He's a definitely a COVID baby. He came out like literally like this. Like his <laughs> eyes were, he didn't cry. He just like looked at around at me. Like when they literally brought him like this, you know, his head was here and he just looked at me like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and I was like, are you going to cry? And he just started to cry, but I had to ask him to cry. Oh and my gosh. yeah, it was so amazing because my first pregnancy was so dramatic and like long 40 hours and it was just a lot of process. She was born face up. Mm. It was just like grueling. Um, but this one was just super fast and um, really hurt and it was crazy. Uh, but he, it's like a good, uh, what do you say? Contrast to the girl. Cause I have a girl and a boy and he's so much calmer. Um, he's getting the Susie Garcia dark side. I can see it. <laughs> gonna have that but um but it's okay like uh, you know uh, he'll he'll deal with it he has a crazy sister she really doesn't like him all that much um (laughs) she's a diva she was alone and by herself for three years so this is a crazy transition for her and she's getting better she just says i just don't want him to be a baby anymore and i'm like well you're right (laughs) eventually he won't be yeah eventually won't be and you can play with him and he'll know what you're saying and you know, I don't know if that fighting's ever going to stop, but, um, but you know, she has her moments of, of, you know, ternura and just nice. I love you. You're, he's so handsome. Like, you know, she, she, she really appreciates his cuteness, but at the same time, it's like this attention that we have to pay to him is not the business. <laughs> this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not how it's supposed to be. But um, um, how well, do you and your husband deal with supporting each other and both being artists in the same field. How do you guys work it out? Yeah. So Pepe and I have known each other so long. That helps, right? Like that just, you feel like, man, we've known each other so long and, and, and we've grown and we've gone through a lot of obstacles in the later part of, you know, in his relationship with me, it was like when he was leaving a band that he was in for 25 years, he like basically retired, you know, um, and is finding himself again and be having somebody there to sort of help him do that. And then for me, having a master of this craft that I am part of, you know, the genre music, somebody I looked up to, and then with a father who's even more part of what I looked up to, uh, as the director of Maria Chivargas for 40 years. Uh, and I look at his statue right here in my house every day. Oh and gosh. just, you know, you have this like, this like almost spiritual, like sense of like, you know, we were born to do this and we were born to be together, right. To, to continue this legacy and continue this music in the best way that we can for our people and our community and our culture. Um, so it's nice to have that person that can help lift you up and then like you know his knowledge of music is way bigger than mine so he helps me and then I help him on the other side of like okay well you know business wise this is what you have to do as a leader he's never been a leader he's been the the band member and like the solid like follower and the soldier and it's and he lived in Mexico for all you know 40 some years of his life so being an immigrant here, like scary. I don't speak English. And how do we deal with all those lost in translation, you know, uh, uh, things? It's definitely been a challenge for both of us, but at the same time, such a beautiful thing to come together after all these years, um, create two new like lives that we know we will, will follow hopefully our footsteps. Um, and just like, help each other through this pandemic when it was just so scary. Like what, are, this is what we do. How, how, how do we live now? And the good thing is I've always had another job. Um, so we were able to kind of use that and lovely like opportunities for me in the education field 
to use music and create videos. So that's what I've been doing too for the pandemic. This pandemic caused education to like look at the world differently too and say, what else can we do for kids to um, inspire them, to help them learn a little differently since they're going to have to learn online and they're so much into technology now. It's just like social media is crazy. So I made videos and I that's really where I made money. I, I mean, yeah, it's my education business, but because of those opportunities, selling books and all that stuff, like I was able to get these contracts to create something called English notes, where I um, focus my videos on English learners and creating music videos that oh, have, cool. to do, to have to do with community issues like homelessness or saving water or climate change mm-hmm. and figuring out how to present those themes to them um, and get them to talk about those those issues using vocabulary that I use in the videos. That's great. And Pepe's so- been there. Pepe's been the, yeah. the musical director that he goes and, <laughs> you know, he plays the bass and he goes to do the piano because he has those skills. And I couldn't have done that without him. So we've, we've really been collaborating a lot. Yeah. yeah, which is fun, fun, fun. Just so people know, your other job, your education business, can you explain just a little bit about what that is? Yeah. So since my, they call us book babies, these are kids who have grown up in the um, educational publishing industry. A lot of people don't even know that that exists or just never thought about it. But the people, how do you get your books that you read um, in school, like your history books, your social studies books, there's actual big companies, corporate companies that um, create those books. There's also little supplemental companies that have little other educational materials that need to be sold to schools. And my dad was in this business all his life in a corporate setting. Mm-hmm. And I actually took his job. He had a slight heart attack. And then my mom was like, you're not going to work anymore. I ended up taking his job when I don't even know how old I was, but in like 1994, no, 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 it had to be 2000 something. Uh, and then I worked at Hope Mifflin Company for six years. Hope Mifflin Company is very much known for Curious George, the publishers mm-hmm. of, of Curious George, and they're in Boston. And so I was with this company for six years. And then I took a leave of absence because I they merged. It was like typical corporate merger. I wasn't happy. Um, and then I left to do independent sales. I actually left to be a producer. I went to Ashland to do a big <laughs> uh, uh, play for a year. I took a leave of absence for Colibri, really. And then mm-hmm. I I didn't go back to my job. I just decided I'm not. Oh, that was a transition. To- that was a transition. I went and I left. And then my boss said, yes, my, the best boss I've ever had in my life. And he said, yeah, go. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the leave of absence. And so it didn't... It, it didn't necessarily like, um, what do you call that? Like, I didn't know that I was going to have a job that I came back. Like it, it wasn't secure a hundred percent, but he said, we'll figure it out, you know? Right, right, so right. I left like with no, I was like, I'm out of here. I came back and then I decided to be a producer and a musician and that worked out for the most part, but I, went back to books because again, it's just a source of income that was important. And I became an independent sales rep. So that means that I independently sold books um, for smaller companies and I just work on commission. That's basically it. But I'm, I'm hustling that life and I'm hustling (laughs) the the music. And, but it gives you a little bit of flexibility to be independent like that. I'm an entrepreneur for, for educational materials and, it's my business and yeah. I decide who do I, who I represent and, um, and now just creating my own material, which is amazing. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a silver lining for sure. For sure. There's a couple questions that I always ask at the end, but was there anything that you really were looking forward to talking about that I haven't touched on before we get there? Um, I think we, we hit a lot of things. I mean, I think it's more about the women and I think the, the the influence that other women had on me to be a better leader, to be a better musician, and then ultimately um, just to change things in this mariachi genre and leave our mark, Las Colibri, leaving my mark, our mark, whatever you want to call it. We decided to look different, to 
perform differently with a dress instead of the traditional traje. And we all have different colors. So we kind of maintain our sense of identity in a collective. Um, I love that. Yeah. And how did you, how did you get to those decisions? I think it was just really an organic kind of thing. Like, well, let me tell you how, I think this is like, again, the Susie Garcia, you know, leadership that you're talking about. Like, how do you decide this is going to happen or this is the way I want to look or feel or this, this, you know, want to present? Well, you know, being a woman and being in this traje, I don't know if everybody can like go look it up on Google if you're listening to this podcast, but a traje de charro is so constraining for a woman. It's like the traditional suit. The traditional suit. And it's a suit. So you have the skirt, long skirt, high boots, um, and then you have a, a like an undershirt, like a like a full like um, dress shirt, if mm-hmm. you can imagine that, like a button-up dress shirt. Then you have a vest and then you have a jacket. Okay. That's like, you can imagine like lifting your arms to play. Yeah. To play. And then like, like women are just like more, I am at least uh, that's the way I was performing, right? Like 110% dancing, moving, you know, playing my violin hardcore. And then I'd be sweating like awful. (laughs) And I was like, cause I'm a sweater, like, ew, gross profusely after a show. And I'm like, I look like awful. My makeup's totally smeared. My hair is like now not curly. It's now like just drab and like falling. It's wet. So I was like, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to play like this anymore. How do you get the best out of yourself performing when you're, you can't even walk because the skirt's so narrow that you're like, you know, you can't, and it's heavy because it has all those like adornments on the side. They're like mm-hmm. silver. So I just was like, this got to stop this is and I don't want to like ruin the traje because it's such an important like symbol culturally for mariachi like I need I we need to like just not do that at all and let's be feminine and let's go back to like the 40s and 50s when we used to see our idols singing on tv or on the Mexican um, movies of the 50s like let's get to that that style because that was beautiful and people really accepted that so let's see if we can get to that. And and we went to a seamstress and decided to talk about and sketch out what we thought was going to be good for this. And, and she did it and she got it right. And we've never had to (laughs) switch our, our outfit. And that's amazing too. We have different variations now, my colors, we have all white, we have black, but for the most part, people still love the the full, like different colors, like the fiesta look that's very Mexican. Uh And, and, um, Again, going back to the individuality of the girls, I really like that because in the traje, you all look the same. Sometimes you can't tell one girl from the other. You put the sombrero on and then you really don't know who's who. So I felt like these colors, (laughs) these colors really like brought out the individuality of the girls. Like people would say, oh, I love the girl who sings in the green. So like it gave them like like a place and a a voice, you know, visually. Uh, to to people to recognize them and to 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 praise them for who they were you yeah. know and everybody sounds different it's just like to me it all like came together with the the choice of moving to a different um, vestuario as you say like a just mm-hmm. just a different different like your trademark. type of look yeah but it's our trademark that's our brand now and people say can you wear that and I'm like no we can't that's just not who we are <laughs> have uh-huh. you seen we- uh, any other groups starting to emulate Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the fun part is that like, oh, we did it. We made a, we made a statement and people obviously liked it a little, uh, you know, enough to, to copy it or to do their own. It gave like open the door and maybe they're not looking exactly the same, but now people are just starting. They decided, okay, now we can kind of, there's some wiggle room here. There's some wiggle room. Somebody did that. And now we we have the permission kind of to move in a different place. So that's good too. I mean, you know. I, I think that was a good move on my part and uh, decision, executive decision that I made mostly selfishly because I just didn't want to sweat so bad and feel uncomfortable as a woman playing this music. I wanted to feel free, more free. Yeah. Yeah. And, and why can you not? Ima- can you imagine all these years later now, like if you had been playing in that, in the suit the entire time? No, I was. How, That's how why it's like, I kept, no, I didn't want to yeah. do that anymore. And I'm, I'm proud to put it on when I, if I want to put it on again, but not for yeah. a Colibri's purpose. We have we have too much to di- give, and I need to dance with everybody, and I don't <laughs> want to be sweating all over them. 
Um, if you do feel like you're in the dark side or you're not feeling motivated or down, are there any things that you come back to, like tangible things you come back to again and again that can help get you out of it? Like a book that you reread or music that you listen to or like things like that that are like touchstones? Oh, gosh. I think, you know, for me, I'm really glad I have a husband that I can bounce stuff off. You know, I think talking about it, like when I'm really fired up, I know in the moment it's harder to do. Um, that typically doesn't happen to me so much. I think more of my dark side happens when situations come up in in the process of like directing the group. That's where I feel like that's when I get really mad at something or, you know, um, it could be even like a client or, but mostly personnel wise, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, cause that's, it's hard to deal with all these people uh, all the time. And not that anybody manager is a skill. Yeah. It's yeah. Hard. It's, it's hard. Manage. So that's where I feel like more of, and I think of those cheerleaders again, like, you know, like they could see that dark side of me in, in a positive they, they saw it like they could see like Miss Garcia is bringing out the best in us, but she's hardcore, you know, and, and I think I've always had that. Um, however, how do I like think about it and say, don't, don't say that. Like, it's just, I think I think about my parents and sitting me down that same place of saying, you can't be like this, you know, somebody <laughs> really like ingraining in me that like, this isn't okay. So tone it down take a breath. Don't, I don't really think that came. Well, of course I have some amazing books and I will say the best book I read, and I'm not sure, you know, you can't pinpoint what parts of your life it's helping you sometimes at the time you read it. But my favorite book was Ileana Van Sant. Hmm. Oh gosh. What's the name of the book? I just had a, um, uh, I want you to just put this if if you can, because it is yeah, a, um, I know that name. Uh, uh, I just want, I can't think of the name. Um, well, sorry. Let me just look at her. That's fine. Oh, one day. One, yes. Okay. So the book I read that really changed my life was One Day My Soul Just Opened Up. Hmm. And I, I don't, I mean, there's, I read a lot of self-help in my 30s my thirties, I did, I can say, so the dark side, whatever was happening in my life, or I feel like I get a sense of calmness from a lot of the self-help that I did read during those years. And there's, it's like the Oprah's book club list, like typically, <laughs> you know, the good earth or all those ones, um, the tipping point, things like, you know, that were just really good, good books for, for leadership. Um, but this one, one day my soul just opened up. I don't know. Something, I feel like it was like the one thing, the one book that helped me see, I guess, the good in myself, that there's there's good. And so don't doubt that and um, understand that you just have to work at those demons. You have to work at that dark side so that it doesn't um, alienate others from you, who you are or who you, you know, because that could happen so easily. And I've done it before. I've alienated girls that they just said, I'm, 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 I'm not going to be here anymore. So mm-hmm. it, it maybe was just our personality conflict, right? Me, the, my, my style to their style. Um, but in the end, like, uh, I don't know, we're all friends. Like nobody's ever, I mean, I'm not that bad a person where I don't speak to any of the girls that used to be in my group. And many of them have come back to class Colibri, which is nice to know that like, Maybe it was just the timing of our lives that it would, you know, they needed to take right. a break. But that book to me, I'm yes. going to request it from the library today. Yes. <laughs> uh, really, and then, it really helped me. It really did. Okay, good. I'm going to, I'm going to get it. Um, I'm just, there's just one more question because I know we've um, been talking for a while, but it, is there any work of art that you've taken in lately that you want to recommend of any art form? could be something local in LA or a TV show or anything. Yeah. Oh, yes. A TV show. I'm glad you let me uh, pick that one. <laughs> um, I am going to say I'm really, really enamored by Ted Lasso. It's a lot of fun, and isn't it? It is a lot of fun. And I feel like 
this is like a manager. This is ex- it's inspiration to do what I do. Yeah. I mean, one, he's not a master of his craft. Like he's not, he doesn't know anything about soccer. He's trying to um, also, he's in a culture that he's not a hundred percent part of. So, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I feel that way. We didn't even get into this, but I learned Spanish. I learned to be a mariachi. This is not something like Pepe who's done this because his dad and his grandfather, right, and, right. you know, all of his family do it. It's like when you're, when you're a foreigner to something, like I sometimes feel to either, you know, hardcore Mexican culture because I'm a Chicana. My parents were born in Los Angeles. Like mm-hmm. um, we love our culture, but we're not, sometimes we're not, you know, considered like, I don't know, authentic enough. I don't know. That's a Chicano sort of, you know, self image hurdle that all, you know, we deal with. Um, but the Ted Lasso, right. He's finding himself in a, in a different place. He doesn't, he's not a master's craft. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm a master of my craft, but you, but you have to be that motivator and not and pretend, I guess, I don't know, you know, like he, he has to, he sells himself as like this soccer coach to all of all of Britain. Um, and I love that he's just like so positive. I'm not positive like that, like to that degree, right? I try right. to be positive, but like, wow, I, he inspires me to like be more happy. And because that's my dark side. I'm not super funny. I'm not a lot of things that other people may be. And so um, I really love his believe and like just the things that this show the heartwarming things and 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 also all those mental things that other people are dealing with in his in his soccer yeah. team so like it's like yes yes I get it <laughs> like all these people are so crazy and I have to deal with it too but I'm trying to be that person to support all of them so I I don't know I guess I just see so much of this managerial um stuff in Ted Lasso and I really appreciate for English learners what I'm doing on a daily basis teaching kids and thinking yes this is like how they feel like on the other side the people who are are in Great Britain are looking at Ted like what does that mean (laughs) what is you know like those Americanisms that he says and people look at him like what that's how English learners feel like what what's a piece of cake like why do you say that what I don't get it Right. So I also am like, oh my God, I want to do a whole TikTok <laughs> series on all the little last, Yes. I love yeah, that. So that like P- English learners can understand what he means. And like, I want to do like the, like the guide to watching Ted Lasso for English <laughs> learners. So That's just kind of like that little weird, uh, my it. dad was watching it and I was like, what is this? He's like, oh, I Everybody think you'd like it. it. Yeah. And so I can't wait for season three. I've already gotten, I've already binged. Oh, well, who has time to binge? I don't have time to binge, but I did it because I was like watching it at one in the morning after my kids went to sleep. That's how bad I wanted to see Oh my gosh. Amazing. (laughs) Well, Susie, thank you so, so much for doing this. This was such a pleasure. Yes, it's so good to see you. Thank you for listening to the compass podcast if you find these conversations valuable to your life as an artist and would like to support the ongoing production of the compass please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com the compass podcast pledges start at as little as one dollar a month and anything you can give would be greatly appreciated also if you have a moment please review and follow in itunes every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast i'd like to thank the following people for their generosity The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller, music by Brendan Spieth, audio assistance from Monik Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.